0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Gray and Lane podcast, where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original X Men comics in continuity order. We are recording our episode for December 11th today, about a month ahead of schedule, as per usual. And I am so happy to be joined uh, by two people I'm an enormous fan of. Uh, and I'm getting to meet, uh, well, Michael Dialinus and I met briefly at FlameCon. I'm getting to meet Grace Freud for the first time. What an incredible honor to have you both here. Uh, I'm so happy. Happy to have Christian Smith here with me as well. Uh, we're going to be reviewing Marvel Team-Up number 4 in the latter half of today's story. We are in the early 70s on my show. This is a weird Silver Age story that we will get to in the latter half, prominently featuring the character Morbius the Living Vampire, who I think I have feelings about but didn't realize until I analyzed him for today's show uh before we begin i'd like each of our uh, guests to introduce themselves if they will tell us a little bit about yourselves what your pronouns are our intro question based on today and you'll see why we're asking this have you ever been kissed when you didn't expect it or perhaps when you didn't consent uh let's begin with the incredible and hilarious grace freud hi grace hi uh i'm grace my pronouns are she her uh i
1: got the pleasure earlier this year of writing a. Uh, arc on um, X-Men Unlimited uh, where I got to introduce uh, a new team of mutants and uh, have a whole lot of fun. Uh, Most of the time I write TV stuff uh, and do comedy, though, Um, so uh, and when it comes to have I been kissed when I didn't expect it, uh, I would say the time that really sticks out to me is my first kiss, which involved my girlfriend at the time uh dropping or her mom dropped me off at my apartment building and she walked me up to the door and then she went back to her mom's minivan and then ran at full speed back to me and like slammed her face into my face (laughs) and very cute nothing wrong there uh but um but I
0: didn't really think it would go down like that, you know? <laughs> Chris, it's a phenomenal to meet you. I'm an enormous fan. Uh, let's go over to Michael next. Michael is a prolific and incredible uh, artist who you may know most, on this show at least, from his incredible Puppet Master print on my art wall. <laughs> Michael, welcome to Grey Malkin. Hi, guys. Uh, hi, I'm
2: uh, Michael Dialnas. I am a comic artist from Greece. And Many of you might know me from my work on comics with James the IV, called The Woods and Wind. And I've done a lot of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the past. And today, as of recording, is the release day of my first ever solo series called Zawa and the Belly of the Beast. As for the question, I'm kind of struggling. Uh, I don't really have any real answers other than I occasionally try to kiss my girlfriend when she doesn't expect it and it always goes wrong. I end up getting slapped in the face or uh,
0: she either gets very scared like, What the hell are you doing? <laughs> Michael's like, every time she kisses me, I'm fine with it. <laughs> uh, Michael, She catches me off guard. It's also. great to meet you. I'm such an enormous fan of your work. Uh, and then over to Christian next. Christian, it's good to see your face today.
3: Hey, how you doing? Uh, I'm Christian Smith, I'm uh, he, him, uh, living in London, and I'm feeling really out of place here, because I'm just here as a nerd. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm not creative at all. You've probably just heard me on here more than anything else. Um, have I been kissed? Kissed when I didn't expect it. I mean, I'm really sort of just anal and over planning, so I probably would have over planned a kiss. Um, apart from being kissed by a claw of uh, one of my neighbor's cats uh <laughs> when I went to, went to go and feed it she decided I, she wanted to come in for for snuggles like cats do and then decided no I want food and sh-, with a claw face down my uh, down my cheeks so that was, that's probably the closest I have had definitely wasn't expecting that I would not call that a kiss <laughs> no for a cat
0: however it was the closest. Uh, so I'm not going to spoil what we asked this question, but just listen <laughs> later in the episode and you'll see where we're going on the last page of today's issue. Uh, Leslie, I'm Chad Anderson. I use he, him pronouns. I uh, I am a former Marvel Comics handbook writer, the current host of this show. I uh, Okay, so I live in Utah now. I've been here ever since I came out. I moved here after coming out. And Utah has the highest number of gay parents per capita in the United States because there's a lot of people who grow up religious and have children before coming out. So I'd been out for a little while, and there was this guy who was kind of newly out who asked me, like, hey, can we go talk? I need a friend who understands what I'm going through. We go to the park. He's got, like, four or five kids. He's still married to his wife. And he's, like, opening up to me. And I'm, like, listening, listening. And then suddenly, like, his face was on my It was not a romantic moment. He was just so eager for some sort of affection. And I was, like, we are at a public place. I am not into you that way. Uh, Thank you, but no thank you. He's very happily married to a man now. Life is fine. But there's a lot of those moments in Utah that can be awkward. Uh, For those that live here, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) So we're going to begin today. uh, I want to start with Grace uh, for just a minute. Grace, you are a hilarious and wonderful writer. When I got to see your name attached in Marvel Voices Pride to a new group of characters that you initially named Super Trans, uh, which is such a delightful name for the group. Uh, you uh, brought in a whole group of trans characters, which I think doubled the amount of transgender characters that Marvel has under their lexicon yeah. one issue. You brought the incredible uh, D-Man as the group leader. Christian and I did a whole episode on D-Man together. Uh, and you stationed them in a place called the Matt Baker House, which is extraordinarily special. I would love for you to begin there. How did this assignment come to be? And tell us a little bit about the Matt Baker House. Um,
1: so first of all, uh an interesting thing that I've noticed happen is people say that the group was called Super Trans, but it was kind of like a joke that the because the the original story in Marvel Pride is about um a support group for trans um people and transmutants with powers. And so it's kind of like what would like the people running this uh you know, community organization call it, not like what the kids would call it, right? So the it's kind of like tongue-in-cheek, like super trans, like very like Instagram infographic-y, like um, you know, like people my age, I feel like, and and younger are a little bit less um. I like it's cheesier than I think someone would pick, you know. And so the point of it was like D man had to pick D man's this like cis gay guy and he had to he's a social worker now. He's throwing together this um uh support group and he chooses the term super trans because he thinks it's like fun and it is fun and it is like um him being like an ally or whatever and he is doing a good job but these kids wouldn't be caught dead in a super group named Super Trans, you know? Um, And uh, so uh, it came about uh, some uh, folks uh, at Marvel had seen um, my uh, dumb bullshit, you know, like that I constantly put out online uh just my constant stream of dumb tweets and dumb little videos sarah brunstad reached out to me uh and somehow uh they thought that my absolute drivel would translate well into an x-men comic um i have some friends who had, had written previously for marvel like jeff loveness who's a a big mentor of mine who i think put in a good word too But, um, you know, it's it's really a stunning indictment of Marvel as a publishing company that they asked me to write something for them, uh, considering everything I've ever put out publicly. Um, But the Matt Baker House, one thing that I really want was important to me um, when I was writing this was, I was like, wow, this is maybe my only chance to ever write something for Marvel. And... Something that I, I, I never felt when I was young and um, voraciously reading comics was I never felt like a casual weirdness there. You know, like I never felt like. But it was always like a plot point, you know, that someone was gay or trans like it was like a huge event you know like north star's wedding you know like um and i wanted there to be stuff like the matt baker house in the marvel universe i wanted there to be like um the places that i sought when i was younger for support and so places like Howard Brown in Chicago, um, the LGBT center in LA, Callan Lord in New York. Um, I wanted there to be like a community hub for you know gay kids and young adults and trans people that um you know the non the non-prim and proper ones would go to the ones that didn't Get into uh the fucking, you know, X-Men or whatever. Uh and I remember that it was a big sticking point. Like, why aren't these kids on Krakoa? I don't know. Why didn't I get to go to Harvard? You know, like <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of reasons that life doesn't turn out in the coolest way, you know? Um, but uh <laughs> Basically, Matt Baker is, I think, often considered the first successful, relatively somewhat out um, comic book artist in American comics. He wasn't out, capital O, but my understanding is he was very understood by his contemporaries as gay, and it wasn't like a part of himself that was super hidden. When we talk about like queer history, we're often talking about like gossip because we we have to th- these things couldn't be spoken so openly about and in such def- like defined terms. Um like and also the terms that we use now did not mean the same thing mm-hmm as they did then you know i mean this is why people get so mad about uh like how like the term gay versus lesbian versus like bisexual versus etc those terms were like living terms kind of describing how people were living their lives and that's it doesn't mean that it's bad that we now use them as kind of like Things that just identify us that are immutable. But I think that, like, when we look at queer history and when we look at, like, when Matt Baker was around, we have to understand queerness as something beyond in and out of the closet. Um, but uh, Matt Baker uh, did some work for Timely, um, and did, I believe, like one or two stories for post-Timely Marvel, um, and, uh, work was really beautiful, and I wanted his name to, uh, be known, um, in, in a way that I don't think it is, you know, it's hard to find information about this guy and I got to the information about him because I was like thinking about golden age queer comic creators like we talk about um, you know right? we we have a million uh, writers in fiction that we knew were queer you know, from like uh, uh Whitman, uh, to, uh, uh, Dorian Gray dude. I'm so tired today, um, <laughs> uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. But I don't really have a great grasp on queer history in like old golden age comics, you know? So I did a little bit of snooping around and, um, Matt Baker seemed like someone who really deserves to be held up and much more well-known than, than he is, Um, and so, and I also wanted the Matt Baker house to not come off as this new thing. Like I wanted it to like come off as like it had been in Ridgewood for however many years. Like it wasn't like, Hey, we're cool with gay kids now. So this exists. This LGBT community center has been around in my mind for, for decades.
0: Um, My first, uh, if I can interrupt briefly, my first exposure to the trans community was right after coming out. I'm a therapist, and I got assigned to work with a transgender support group. And I got to learn these stories and meet these people. And now I specialize this. I have a lot of lovely, incredible trans allies and people in my life that I love so much, including clients I saw just this morning. But it was that first support group that really uh, opened up because this is where they felt at home and where they felt safe. Uh, and your story gives me that vibe, seeing D Man as the elder kind of guiding the youth who are also individual, but this is their safe space as trans. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. And I think that a support group and a ser- superhero group are often very similar in that, like, you're there to do something good, but you're not there because you love everybody in there <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> But, but but by being connected by this common purpose, like in this case, to feel comfortable in your own skin and to help other people like you, or to like defeat Doc Ock, um, you are uh, having to inherently have an appreciation for the people who you're doing that with. You know, I'm someone who is in recovery and I go to meetings every day with people who like the only thing that I share with them is that we're both addicts and um they're so e- so even if that person goes up and like says something shares something that I think is like fucking off the wall at the end of the day I have like a love and appreciation for them. Just like, at the end of the day, Cyclops and Wolverine have a love and appreciation for each other because they both have to defeat Magneto. You know? like because the, they're both
0: fucking the same girl.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think we need polyamory in our X-Men comics. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there right now. I don't think we need it to think about my life when I'm reading an X-Men comic like that (laughs) I don't want to think about I think they they shouldn't I'm glad Krakoa got burned to the ground because I think that they should make a choice and it should be one pair or the other I'll come out as polyphobic right now I'll do it Um, no it's beautiful whatever what have you
0: uh, Grace I want to come you back to You know
1: Jonathan Hickman when he thought, when he thought up of doing that was like yeah those bastards yeah like he was when he thought up of that I bet he was like yeah fuck those pieces of shit that are going to like this um, but in like a fun Jonathan Hickman way you know like it's... sometimes I think he writes something because he knows
0: people will like it even though that's not his Particular brand of. And it's never directly stated, but there's that image of Gene's room, and there's a door to Cyclops's room, and a door to O'Brien's Sl- <laughs> room. Yeah. Uh, Grace, so I want to come back to your characters in just a moment. Let me spend just a moment with Michael here. Michael, I got to walk into FlameCon. I knew you were going to be I'm, there. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm here for the Grace Show. I'm just <laughs> watching. <laughs> I knew you were going to be there, but seeing you in person was such a big deal. You're sitting right next to Isaac and right next to Tate, uh, who are both coming on the show soon, uh, right next to James Tiny. I spoke to uh, Tate
2: before.
0: Just walking around and seeing the four of you all sitting there. I'm such an incredible fan. I love the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from my adolescence, so I always loved your work. But your, uh, your work with James Tiny and on The Woods and later on Wind is so transformative from a storytelling perspective for queer people. Uh, There's a fairy tale-like, almost almost saga-like or fables-like energy to the way you guys are putting these issues out. Uh, I know they are award-winning and they are incredible. And uh, James, of course, has helped revolutionize the industry for queer people in a lot of ways. Uh, I would love to hear a little bit about your journey as an artist through these projects. And uh, which Ninja Turtle are you, my friend? Oh,
2: my God. Um... I think everyone in their late thirties realizes that we're all Donnie's because, you know, growing up, everyone wants to be Mikey. Everyone wants to be Raph. Everyone wants to be, some people want to be Leo, but, uh, everyone deep down is, is a Donnie because they just want to be sensible and get through their lives and, you know, support everyone around them. The other characters are just crazy. <laughs> um, look, I'm, I'm, I, I I now have the label as a writer, but I am not good at talking as much as Grace. Grace,
1: no, you can, you're yeah. great at talking. You just gave so much wisdom in such a tight package. We really are all Donatellos. What do you think about it? I'm not going to go to therapy. I, just... I thought I was an iron nail, and now I'm a Donatello. I am now splinter.
2: <laughs> um. So, what, like, I'm better at conversations. So talk, talk me through this. What do you want to know? Yeah,
0: let, let me talk a little bit about uh, Wind, which is my personal favorite of yours. The creation of this land and these characters who are in a world uh, where difference is divided out, in a world that's much like our own, where these characters are looking for love and looking for home. And there are queer essences to all of them as well. How did you and James first get, uh, first get teamed up together?
2: Well, we, like, after working on The Woods for four years, uh, we took our break and I was doing Turtles at the time. And I loved working with him those four years. So it was bound to like, you know, we we're bound to like, get back together. Even now we're already having conversations of what we're going to do post-wind. So I think we're going to be lifelong creators together. And it was just a certain point where after drawing The Woods and dealing with a more realistic style for me, which was something that I kind of forced myself into because I normally draw cartoony stuff. And when Woods came around, I had I made a choice to change up my style and be slightly more realistic, even though in the beginning it was kind of rough. But towards the, the last um, 12 issues, I kind of got a better grasp of it. But after that, I was like, I'm done. I've done nearly 800 pages of this story. I need to change it up a bit. So when we got back to Drew talking about a new project, I was like, James had a story that he wanted to tell. And I just said to him, I just want to be more fun, draw, you know, go back to my comic, go back to my cartoony roots. So that's when we started having these big conversations about doing the, the big fantasy book of of Wind, which was supposed to be one book and then it turned into three books and now it's going to be five books because James never stops writing. Bloody hell. <laughs> um, too much, that man. Take over my life. <laughs> I mean, like, even with Wind, we're already 750 pages roughly in. Yeah. So we have two more books. It will be. It will pass the thousand mark, and that terrifies me.
0: It's Actually, it so, will it's go so into so the one thousand two hundred. That makes my heart sing because it's so good. It's so good. Uh, what's the, what's it been like to see the queer community uh, react to these books? The Glad Awards, uh, people mm-hmm. talking about how wonderful this work has uh, has made them feel. Oh no, it's. Uh... I mean, I just love everyone who loves the book.
2: <laughs> um, it's it's very nice to to see people respond this way, and you know, I am a a big anime fan. So whenever I get to draw giddy love stories, it's it's the best. Like we didn't get to do that much in the woods because it was uh, more serious. But especially in the third wind book, when we get to uh, have a do it, uh, when we get to um, deal with a nice hot springs moment with all our characters naked together in a pond. Um, It was, you know, it's fun. It's refreshing. It's, uh, you know, I like to draw weird characters and, you know, blushing when they look at each other.
0: Now, just today, as we're recording this in mid-November, Zawa and the Belly of the Beast has been released. Uh, I'm so excited to go to the comic shop when we're done recording and pick it up. Tell us a little bit about Zawa.
2: Zawa is my first ever solo series. And it's, it's very weird to think that it's been this long and I've never done something like this before. So, yeah, this is my first ever series. Writing, drawing, lettering, coloring. I even did the logo for the series, and it's um, it's a it's a weird juxtaposition of a story. It's dark and cute, and I pitched it as "What if Guillermo del Toro did a Miyazaki story?" So it has all the elements of um, environmental disasters that you get from a Miyazaki story, and it has a lot of dystopian. Uh, weirdness and dark dark turns a lot of macabre doesn't show up in the first issue but as the, as the story goes it goes it goes very dark and yeah that came out today the response has been way more than i expected like up until a couple of days ago when i was like this is it this is your first outing this is the, you know the first time when someone is going to look at your book And if they love it, it's all you. If they hate it, it's also all you. There's no taking responsibilities. There's no James did a good story, but the art was shit. Or the opposite. James wrote a terrible story, but the art was great. (laughs) I can't divide. I can't take responsibility for one part. The whole thing is mine. So I was kind of terrified for this week. And I'm kind of weirded out that people like it so much. Because I've never gotten to written a story this big. Every story I've done before was like 30 pages max. And that was like over a decade ago. So for right now for me to start a whole mini series, which will be around 140 pages long, was kind of terrifying. I didn't know I could do this. And now I'm realizing that maybe I can.
0: And you maybe, are... James- you're taking a break from me. <laughs> <laughs> You're a fidile. I, I really, I really can't wait to read it. I love uh, looking at your work, uh, Grace. Somewhere along the way, your characters uh, caught on a little bit. I'm guessing Sarah had something to do with this, but you got to do an X Men Unlimited arc, and uh, yeah. the the soft pitch for this story is: let's take the kids from Supertrans, who you call the next mutants, by the end of this story, and let's uh, let's have them go to Mojo World with Jubilee. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: my, yeah. single, my single favorite moment in this story is uh, there's a guy who shows up because he wants to be their friend and he dresses him up as a sentinel and calls himself Sentinel ally which is amazing tell us a little bit about your X-Men Limited Arc it's so fun uh,
1: so my pitch for it was uh, Sarah asked me to pitch an X-Men Unlimited Arc and uh, I had this idea of like what does it like what does it mean when a team is like we're the X-Men? You know, it's like such like a uh, who gets to say that they're the X-Men, you know? Like if a group of teen mutants just were like, Hey, we're the X-Men, we're here, and just like called themselves that, like, what would Charles Xavier's response to that be? You know, like, how how do you stop them from doing that? You know, like, um, You can't really beat the the smart ass out of, you know, a bunch of kid mutants, you know? (laughs) Like, that's not how you do that. Um, So my general idea was just, like, I wanted to... I pitched it, actually, as a book first called The Unofficial X-Men. And I would really like to write uh, with these characters more. Um, But... uh, the 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 pitch was this big. I I wanted it to be this like, um, corner of Marvel mutant dumb of re- teenagers acting like teenagers who didn't give a fuck about Krakoa and didn't give a like didn't fucking care about that shit. You know, like they 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 were and maybe didn't even know it. Like. A ton about it like who were like no i'm gonna stay in Ridgewood because uh my fucking friends are here dumbass like oh uh, you want me to come to mutant paradise uh oh is mutant paradise where i can't kiss my boyfriend sounds like it because it's an island fucking a million miles away from new york city so uh i just wanted to write so like an X book about shithead kids acting like shithead kids, um, who had no respect for what came before them. Um and uh I think I got to do that to a point. Um I the X-Men Unlimited Arc is essentially the arc that I pitched um as the first arc in in that in that book, um, but in miniature. Um and uh, the I, I, the the big pitch was like Orcus was going to use them to uh further their own, their own, like kind of like legally defend their right to call themselves the x men and stuff like that um but i also wanted to write about how when you're like trans when you're queer you are viewed as either an asset or a threat you know to any existing organization you aren't viewed as just a person right um and so i think kind of that's what and i wish we had gotten to get into it more like krakoa is like oh here's here's these this young group of mutants calling themselves the x-men we can't just wave our finger because they're more marginalized than even us schmucks, you know? And, like, uh, so we have to, like, figure out how to convince them that we're they should join Team Krakoa, basically, you know? Uh, and at the same time, my favorite Marvel villain, pretty much, Mojo, sees this new team calling themselves the X-Men... Sees that they're this like hot new thing to him, trans, right? Like he's he see, like, like many streaming services and 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 other media companies and Marvel itself, with I mean, they're making money off of Marvel Pride, right? The reason that I got hired to write a Marvel comic was in large part because I'm trans and they realized they could make money by putting out a comic that was all like Queer people stuff, you know, for Pride Month, they realized that Pride Month was profitable. So I wanted to kind of write a comic about that, and Mojo sees that it could be he could get more eyes on his channel, um, by bringing in this like more marginalized trans group of ex kids, uh, and and then the rest of it is also like you know I'm a TV writer, so. I'm going to pat myself on the back for a second and say, I think that I was kind of pressured because I wrote all of this stuff before the strike happened. And so, and then the strike happened and people literally like for the X-Men protest printed out panels from it. And we're like, this is basically what's happening. And so of anything I've ever written, I felt good about that because it really is like, we're milking every possible thing. To death because we don't care. These these services don't care about story. They don't care about uh the craft of it. They care about like what's new and what's hot, you know? And so and and to turn transgender people into a new and hot thing endangers us, gets us nothing, except a few of us a paycheck for a second, right? Um and uh and then if you treat us like a fad, the fad's going to end. And then what happens to us? Right. So those are kind of the thematic things I wanted to deal with in the story and where it kind of came from.
0: Now, Michael, you uh, have done one issue one that I'm aware of.
2: One oh, second. Ahead. I'm looking up. I'm looking up Grace's comic. One minute. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm sold. I'm in. I want to see this. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Mike. I'm a big fan of the woods. By the way, it's it's a treat. Oh to... my God.
0: Um, I mean, I got don't know here. how long
3: it took me to realize that the woods
2: and wind were both drawn by you. I think...
0: Yeah,
1: I need to check out as, wind. As, I need to check out wind. It's so
2: good. As I mentioned before, I change my I change my styles. Yeah, and I do this. I do this. I do this constantly, and it's kind of a very bad thing for me in the industry because people don't know what I who I am when I'm
0: drawing. Uh no. Michael, you've done one issue for Marvel that does have the X-Men in it. It's a weird place to find the X-Men. It's a title called <laughs> Superior Spider-Man Team Up Arms of the Oct- Octopus or special number 1. It's at the end of a three-part story. Uh you are working with Mike Costa here. And there is some really fun time-traveling original X-Men uh, stuff in this issue, so which puts it on brand with uh, with my show, which is all about the original X-Men, at least for the next year or so. Uh, and I love your characteristic design on these guys. I mostly love how you drew Beast's glasses. <laughs> makes me really happy. Oh, yeah. And, and Iceman's, like, very jagged, craggy ice, uh, the way you put it in the issue is really fun. What was it like for you to uh, to work on this story with Mike?
2: Can we be real? Yeah, it's been a decade. Working for Marvel was maybe the worst thing I did ever, and I I only did one issue, and it was kind of a a clusterfuck. I can tell you. I can say that now. It's been a decade. Like this was my first first work for hire thing I did in the US. I just come off my first uh, creator-owned series, Amano's Blade with Dark Horse, so. Getting an email from Marvel was like the biggest thing ever. It's like, oh my God, I've only done one book in the US. And now I've got an email from Marvel. And it just went, it went all wrong. Because they didn't tell me what I was drawing. They told me it was a one of the three issue arc. The one issue would be Spider-Man, one issue would be X-Men, and one issue would be Hulk. So... I basically messed up the whole holiday. This was like exactly, this was July or June of 2013. So my whole experience was waiting to see what I was drawing. I found out what I was drawing when it was announced in previews. When knowing the industry now, when something is announced in previews, that means the time is, the clock is ticking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so um i had to like try and find i was like emailing the editor like hey guys you know what am i doing i just found out i'm drawing spider-man so yeah it was it was a whole ordeal i wasn't the the happiest person because uh i still hadn't found my sea legs with the the industry i hadn't figured out how to how to draw a normal at a normal pace so when they suddenly told me i had um 30 pages i think it was 30 pages I had thirty pages to do in less than a month, and I'd never done this before. I always colour my own work. I make a. I try to make a deal of. Try to make. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't like, like I people drawing, colouring my own work. Yeah, yeah. So um I will never give it. I never. I'll never give those duties to anyone else from now on. So I got into this book, and suddenly I was drawing and inking but leaving out the color which is something very hard for me because i tend to color my own work as a way of finishing off the page i like seeing the page as a final product i don't like leaving it halfway so even like even that was a big thing like oh my god i'm just like drawing this thing and then stopping and then have to give it to someone else to, to color so yeah uh, it was a big it was a big uh, big clusterfuck I didn't know half the things because they they put the Spider Man issue as the third issue. When I got the script, uh, I was like asking, like, who, you know, what am I drawing? What is this laboratory? Who are these characters? (laughs) Because it didn't give me anything. Because the the, the artists, like, I think it was Chris Anka and Jake Wyatt, they had like two months, three months to do the issue. And they were already working on their issues. And I was waiting for mine. So when I got mine, I was like trying to scramble and find these other guys. And I, Hey guys, you know, can you, (laughs) you know, give me some, you know, pointers? Like what is this laboratory? So all these things were happening off out of Marvel emails because that was the only way I could, you know, get the stuff that I needed. So yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the happiest and it may be my worst work
0: in the market. It's still good, so yeah, great. That, but I, <laughs> you're not the only person I've heard versions of that story from. <laughs> I completely understand.
2: Um, Plus, I also had a nice. I also had a really nice scene with the Hulk post transformation, where he turns back into Bruce, and I got to draw his butt. <laughs> and then I got the note saying, "Hey, man, we can't show a butt. This is a Marvel comic." <laughs> So I had to cover his butt with smoke With this like
0: convenient smoke Just passing over his bum So you don't see the crack It's almost (laughs) like you're in the savage land Where all the bits are always covered This is why comic shops are closing
1: down We need to start showing ass In Marvel Comics At least ass In fact I think we need to show some outlines of other stuff too If we're gonna like really get those sales back I
2: mean, uh, if you do outlines of other other things, you probably get like a a, a late night show talking
0: about it. Yeah, <laughs> what <going> for Batman? <laughs> Batman. Uh, Grace, which of the next mutants characters are you most like? Um, <laughs> I want to feel like I'm. I want to feel like I'm good arson, but I'm probably harmonize if I had to choose a character for myself.
1: Uh, y- well
0: it's interesting
1: so uh, my response to this is i tried to write characters that were really not like me and not just um characters cuz it was like i'm like I don't, I don't know if you can tell i'm very white and i am uh you know i don't have i am not the whole spectrum of trans experience um so i tried to write characters that where I would I would say the one that's most like me, um, in how I talk and act, is Good Arson. But in my head, I'm Face Shopper. You know, <laughs> um, and if I and if I go to look like one of them, it would be Face Shopper. But um, like you know, like I'll be so Face Shopper is a a character. Heavily inspired by the trans musician Sophie. Um, And. uh, R.I.P. And I. I'll be like listening to a Sophie track. And be like yes. This is me. This is me. And then I'll be like you know getting Arby's. So like I'll be in the car in the drive through. To get like the most disgusting sandwich of all time. Which I think is a more good arson thing. Good arson if you haven't read it. Is. This trans dude who can start stuff on fire. How how do those powers work? He doesn't really care, so he doesn't really know. He can just look at stuff and start it on fire. Uh, and D-Man suggested to him to change the name, and he said, no, 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 no. no. Um, and uh, Face Chopper is weirdly one of the most powerful shapeshifting mutants, I think, period? Because... She can emulate and have the same power set as whoever she shapeshifts in. However, I wanted to um, have her have, like, a, a drawback that I think is a little bit more significant than some people would think, which is she has to admire. She has to think whoever she's... She can't shapeshift into someone she doesn't think is cool. Um, So... Uh, uh But which I think is gets at my ego maybe a little bit um, of <laughs> like how I present myself to the world. um So, but that was a long, long answer. But I would say probably good arson. But I would love to be a face shopper.
0: I'm a big fan of Pity Girl and uh, Mojo Junior too. Not to be confused with Mojo Two, the sequel. <laughs> here we, here we go. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Mojo,
1: Mo- oh, Mojo Junior. I totally wasn't even thinking about in the context of the team. But Mojo Jr. to me is, like, an egg also, like, is, like, which is a term uh, in the trans community for someone who isn't out yet. But also, like, is Mojo a man? But, like, like it's it's whatever Mojo was told he was, whatever Mojo Jr. was told he was by Mojo, he is not. Um, So that's what I mean when I say, like, he's an egg of some sort. Is Mojo a man?
0: Um, only Major Domo knows.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah. And, but what I wanted to say about Pity Girl was, her name is is Nora um, after a friend of mine who passed, passed away, and um, I really uh, I like that there's been a really great response to her I've seen, and I think that it really shows the power of like, we're often asked as trans and queer writers to use the bad things that we've happened that have happened to us to make us money right through like a personal essay or through writing a story that is queer that has to do with our persecution right sure. um so i wanted her to do that literally um because if you haven't read the 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 story uh her powers are she can control people's minds by telling them sad stories uh but uh, but yeah, sorry, I'm I'm rattling rambling on.
0: <laughs> no, no, it's so good. And I would that's love to talk more about all of the inspiration for these characters. Uh, what a delight to hear both of your stories and to get to know you. We're gonna transition into the issue review in just a moment. Uh Michael. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if mine was a story.
2: Mine was more of a <laughs> I have to get this off my chest after 10 years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> still, a sto- still a story. No, that's uh, a
1: great story. And Michael, maybe <laughs> one day it'll be 10 years. For me, too. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> At some point, there will have been 10 years, is what I'm saying. God bless There you, will be ex- more stories in the future. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: okay, so... I my mean, goal- we... Oh, go ahead. Go again.
2: No, I'm just saying that the... It's weird because we've grown up with these characters. We love these characters. We want to be a part of comics. We create comics. And you, when you get to the, the point where you work with one of the biggest companies in the world, you expect the best. You expect to have the opportunity to do what previous artists and writers have done before you. And then when you get to that point and you, you just get the worst condition ever, it kind of demoralizes you. It took it took me at least five years to get over that whole Marvel situation. Yeah, yeah. Because I thought like this is the biggest shot. Like, and now I'm in. I did I did the thing. I broke in, and then I realized I didn't break in. I just walked through one door and left, and didn't realize what happened. And you know, the 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 end product wasn't the best. And the person who gets the the short the the shortest straw is was me. It wasn't the editors who did a bad call. It wasn't the bad deadlines. It wasn't the bad coloring. It was the artist because he got the worst deadline. So I always expected, uh, for like for a good five years, I wanted my second chance. And I always like try and knock on doors again say, hey guys, you know, I did that one thing for you. And I've been doing this series with James and I've been doing turtles and I've been doing so many things and I got all these awards. And I never got that that door opened again. I was like, you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, this yeah. one 30 page issue that was the worst situation ever is going to be the one Is going to be that thing that puts me on a blacklist for Marvel when I wasn't ready to do this in the first place. I was. I should never have been given this job. It was too early for me. So yeah, that's the thing that, that pains me with the whole situation with this company because you you want it to be, you want that experience to be the best. I will always love Marvel. I'll always love their, their characters. You know, it just came from the screening of the Marvels. I had a great time, great things at the end of the movie. And yeah, that's that like, I wanted to to be more positive. Like the, the situation I had was, was not the best, but I still love Marvel, Marvel's history, basically. And I really app- I got to read when I was younger.
0: I really appreciate your authenticity in sharing that story. Yeah. Not only are you not alone in that, there have been many other people who, once some time has passed, they feel comfortable sharing that story. And I've heard many other stories from people offline as well. So I don't think that's a unique experience, which is a very unfortunate mm. thing.
1: No, no. But I, I, I mean, hope like, you know that C.B.
0: Savolsky is my
1: dad, so I will talk to him as soon <laughs> as we're done, and I will clear everything up for you. I'm so sorry for the confusion.
2: Steve <laughs> is the one who came in the job. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to transition into our issue review for the second half. It is mm-hmm. 1972. This is an era where the oh, X-Men were not popular. They had been canceled, and this is before Giant Size. The X-Men at this point, I keep saying this on the show, were like Dark Hawk is to us now, and they're like the characters that pop up once in a while, then they're gone for a bit. They keep trying hey, to make them happen. I grew up and- with Dark Hawk. I love Dark Hawk. Come Calm down. <laughs> uh, so Marvel Team Up is a series that has just started in 1971. The first issue gives us Spider-Man and the Human Torch fighting Sandman. Misty Knight shows up for the first time. Issue two and three, Jerry Conway gives us a Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four fighting the Frightful Four and Annihilus. And then Morbius the Living Vampire shows up. And Morbius is a brand new character who first showed up in uh, 1971, Amazing Spider-Man number 101. He's a scientist who has a rare blood disorder, and when he tried to cure himself, he turned himself into a living vampire. He's not a literal vampire, but he looks like a vampire. He's got fangs, he floats around, he gets bloodlust, and he, like, kills people. Sometimes his allies, because he gets so hungry he can't help himself. In his first appearance, he's killed, like, a whole boat boat full of people. But then Spider-Man's there, and Spider-Man has six arms because of the lizard and this thing that happened. Uh, Morbius bites the lizard, which changes him back into Kurt Connors. And then there's this stuff where they fight Morbius and get some of his blood in order to cure Spider-Man. And then Morbius bites the Human Torch because he's looking for his old research partner, Hans Jorgensen, uh, because he's trying to cure himself. He kills another guy. Now he's on the run. This is where the X-Men come into it. But Spider-Man has been infected by Morbius's blood, and it's making him a little bit crazy, which is where we're going to start today. Now, Michael, I know you live in Greece. Are you a Morbius the Living Vampire fan? This is a Greek (laughs) character, along with Elektra, Marvel's (laughs) two most famous Greek characters. No, no, <laughs> never. Don't forget Avalanche. <laughs> oh, sure,
3: sure, absolutely.
2: Yep. Okay, Avalanche, if I, as I was saying before, if I was ever going to go back to Marvel, I would love to do an Avalanche story Ooh. because Avalanche is basically from where I grew up. Is uh, in I read uh, some in some Marvel handbook. It said he he grew up in Elunda, which is like four kilometers away from ayos Nikolaos, where i grew up wow i was like great this is like literally representation for me <laughs> like a guy from crete the island where i grew up
0: gay icon <laughs> <amazing>. avalanche
2: wow. <laughs> um uh, it was, it. was his name Do- uh, Dominikos petrakis yes yep. yeah
0: yep. or or but if Dominikos you're from america like you great. say it like dominicos petrakis
2: uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but yeah i always forget that morbius is greek yeah i always do the
3: I, movie uh...
1: did too i think the movie had that whole There was a movie the i don't remember
3: that at all <laughs> i also
1: that
2: was uh... but the thing is like the movie when it began and it had that whole part in in greece i was like wait a minute when is this supposed to be was this supposed to be in the 90s because it pretty much looks like it's in the 60s <laughs> it's like 60s Greece like no one is wearing any you know sneakers everyone's like wearing like weird boarding school outfits from I
1: don't you know is Second that not World how do you War. guys dress anymore because <laughs> listen there's a lot of we gotta break down that prejudice because I, I that's how I thought Greek people dressed today So I'm glad that we're having this conversation. I mean, I'm I'm so Greek right now. Wow. I didn't even know you guys had graphic tees in Greece, but that's really beautiful.
0: This is from the Nintendo store in New York.
1: Oh, okay. (laughs) Exchange of culture. That's really beautiful.
0: So Marvel team up number four, 1972. Jerry Conway's the writer. Gil Kane, who is the iconic uh, penciler, originated from Latvia. He lived from 1926 to 2000. Uh, creator of Latveria. Green Lantern. Uh, from Latveria, yes. <laughs> uh, creator of Green Lantern and the Atom, Iron Fist, Adam Warlock. He's drawn so many comics uh, and he gets to draw the X-Men for one issue. And this is an obscure X-Men appearance, but there's some really fun moments. Uh, Steve Mitchell, Frank GX Koya and John Ramita are on inks John Costanza on letters and uh, Roy Thomas is the editor the cover of this book is fine <laughs> it says the X-Men are Unique. back as a team uh, Spider-Man and the X-Men are here they have met before Spider-Man is there angels back in his yellow and blue uh, they're back in all in all new action, basically. We see shirtless angel grabbing Spidey's web while Iceman blasts Spidey in the back. Scott and Jean are out of costume on the roof below. Scott's blasting an optic blast. They are after Spidey. It says the mark of the mutants, but the title of the issue is, and then the X-Men. Uh, do we have any thoughts on this cover before we jump into this silly Silver Age issue?
3: I miss speech bubbles on the covers. They <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. add something.
1: I think this is... If I- uh, one of my good friends Elliot Ray Hall uh has he been on this? He's great. He's um, not, but I would love to meet him. He's great. He's he wrote uh hot lunch special and a bunch of cool crime comics and stuff. He talks a lot to me about how uh, like uh we forgot how to make comic book covers that make people want to buy the fucking comic. Yeah. And I think that's really true. Like this isn't even like the best comic cover of all time in that era, but wow. You sure get to see Spider Man all splayed out, and them like <laughs> doing their whole shtick. You know, like yeah. I'm tired of like a million like covers of like, oh, it's just Spider Man like this. You know, mm-hmm. with this doing his work. Like it's like, oh, cool. You you can draw Spider Man. You should be able to. You're a comic book artist. Like do it. Like <laughs> having yeah. be doing some sick shit. You know, yeah.
0: Ice Man's hitting him in the butt, yelling, "This time mm-hmm. you pushed us yeah. too far, Wall Crawler." Well, this is like the
2: the one of the problems of the industry today, especially with covers, and it's it's very hard to get a cover that is part of the story, is part of the book. Yeah, because covers have to be shown up like months ahead. So, like uh, if a, if an issue comes, out, if an issue gets put in previews, that's when you see the cover. So that would be three months before the issue comes out, and that issue, that cover will be sent to previews at least two to three months before so we're talking about six months before that issue is print is out in on stands so most of these covers nowadays is just a a bad problem with um you know scheduling and well we should fix that
1: and we gotta fix that really quick (laughs) Um, yes very quick talk to my dad i'll call my dad up and be like are you hearing this shit why haven't you talked to Michael sooner? It's ridiculous. You got to shape up, CV. Uh,
0: Christian, do you have any thoughts on the cover?
3: No, I, I think you're right. I think it is this whole thing of you know covers are just so disconnected from stories. But that's, that's what I like about this one. It's just you get an idea of what's going to happen, so it's
0: good. Uh, they are very angry at Spider-Man. Uh, now, Michael, I'm here to support you with whatever you need, but do you want to guide us support. through the first few pages of the book? Tell us a little about what happens.
2: Look, I'm going to try my best. It's <laughs> been a while since I've read, a, I read an ancient comic. <laughs> so, first page. What do you want me to do? Am I reading it? Uh No, just tell us about what happens. <laughs> well, look, Morbius is doing something very erotic to spider-man in his dreams <laughs> like i don't know what is going on under that cape flap there's 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 legs open and there's choking so I'm not, I'm not, i don't know what's going on and spider-man seems very aroused by this Spider- he's, yeah, yeah, sweat yeah. he's getting, he's getting <laughs>
0: fucked and choked <laughs> yes
2: like i i, I noticed in, the, in these couple of pages when you see spider-man sweats he sweats from one specific point on his head. Yep, every time it's like this, this right here, right on his <laughs> yeah, right, just right under the curve the, of the hair. Yeah, it's just like very prominent white splotch on every time he's sweating. Gross. So, <laughs> yeah. I did. I did. I can say one thing. I didn't admire the hands because we all know that hands are hands are a bitch to draw. So I do enjoy it? these hands, even yeah. though they look like very weird and clunky. It,
3: it's it's Gil Kane. I mean, you know, he's been he's been drawing hands for Hal Jordan for a long time. You got to do that
0: ring. So many those rings. <laughs> Spidey gets or Peter gets woken up from his nightmare by Harry Osborn and Michael. I would love to hear your description <laughs> of Harry Osborn's hair. <laughs> I mean, Harry's hair is iconic. I mean, he should have this hair
2: now like yes. i don't get why they, they they have to change it up and make him just a, a redhead boy he needs this weird it, it should have been a mission
3: in the, in the spider-man 2 game to give him that hair
0: <laughs> Look, I, like then, I still haven't played it it's been like crocheted yeah, on was. his head
2: <laughs> but when i was a kid i always thought they were cor- cornrows <laughs> when i was, a kid, I was like this, Same. Is, Same. this is a white boy with cornrows. <laughs>
0: Uh, Grace, are you a fan of the uh, Harry Osborn hairdo? Uh,
1: You know, I wasn't until I watched a really interesting documentary about how, you know, Vikings got cornrows too, so I guess it's okay, you know? (laughs) But I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. (laughs) um, uh, I've always thought that Harry Osborn's hair was uh, representative of everything great about comics. Having something that, like, looks so perfect in the style of of Marvel Comics, but doesn't make any sense at all, right? Like, it doesn't make any sense at all. Is he getting it dyed, like, <laughs> by, like, stripes, you know? When he was a little kid, did he tell Norman, I want to look like a tiger? And Norman said, yes, I love that. And then he's just been doing it such that? I don't think that has been the case. So I I love it. And I think it it looks
0: great with the colors in this one, too. Uh, Joe Kelly wrote also, how old is he? Oh, they're like they're like twenty. 19 to sixty. <laughs> <laughs> there's an the, issue. The <laughs> there's an issue of Deadpool written by Joe Kelly in like the mid '90s, where Deadpool travels back in time to like this era of Spider-Man, and he meets Harry Osborn, and he's like, "Oh my god, what the fuck is wrong with your hair?" Like <laughs> it's so good. Uh, Michael, keep us
2: going. Like the the one thing that really annoyed me with this page because I was reading it, and this is a really out of context. Like I don't know what's going on. I forgot about the whole thing with the uh, Morbius biting Spider-Man and uh, et cetera. So when I got to this and Harry is waking them up, I was like, what the fuck is Harry doing in Peter's bedroom? In a and then Susan kept, Turtleneck as well. This and yeah, shit going on. And then suddenly it gets to the point where he calls him Mr. Osborne. I was like, wait, is, is it Harry or is it his dad? Because of the way it's from that. Like, I got very confused and <laughs> yeah. I know, I'm still looking at that 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 sweat splotch that's coming down it's, from his head. It's especially on the on the fourth panel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Harry did something else to, to Peter while I was asleep. <laughs> Given
3: the history of the Osborne <laughs> family, it would not shock me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, like what can you say? I mean, there's so much talking. Like these, these comics from the seventies are just mm just
0: so heavy i'm still shaking still sweating ice like who says this peter uh peter's been having uh sex dreams about morbius for several nights in a row and he recognizes he's ill and he needs some support so he's gonna go find a a professor across town so we get some sorry harry calls him a dead fish (laughs) yes he calls him a dead fish fish.
1: Which to me just means flaccid, flaccid <laughs> <laughs> <Blasted> and wet.
2: <laughs> Those are your first two pages, right there. Uh, but yeah, like the uh, as you're saying, like now Spider's got a suit up, and we get the whole <laughs> him talking to himself and calling him himself the web crawling spider-man it's just it's just so 70s uh yeah. and i like he i like the way he has his 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 suit on a on a on the rack you know he's, he keeps it clean Absolutely. he has nothing else in that in that wardrobe just this <laughs> oh no he has a coat he has a coat uh you're right he does, yeah I like actually, the ex- there's nothing
1: in that wardrobe. is <laughs> that he has one coat and Spider-Man suit. Yep. He's really not trying to hide that suit either. <laughs> like, <laughs> Harry just thinks
3: this is
1: put the coat over the suit. You know? Yeah. He could he could fold the suit up, you know, and put it <laughs> exactly. put it under the bed. A lot of things he could do that he does doesn't do. I mean, like reading reading these old comics, it's
2: like reading a storyboard. It's just like someone said, this is what happens. Spider-Man has having a dream. He wakes up, he goes, he puts his suit on. There's no extra layers in the art to give off a, oh, this is where I'll, you know, I'll make a little secret compartment where Spider-Man can have his suit hidden. But he just has on erect. rack. Um, but the one thing that was very weird for me where he has, he's like talking to himself about Morbius. (laughs) <laughs> He's giving this whole little speech to himself. I was like, this is Morbius, the, the vampire called Morbius. And ever since the torch, I was like, what the fuck happened with the torch?
0: That was uh, that was last issue. They fought Morbius together. It's fine. Mm. I gathered before when you mentioned it. I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> they got a... Why aren't they putting this guy
1: in... I mean, I'm not... I'm, I don't believe in prison, but they're superhero guys, so... Why didn't they put him in prison? You know, like, I mean, the human torch can set people on fire, right? Like, you'd <laughs> think he would have been able to control him. Well, huh? yeah. Well, we should talk about Morbius's outfit. Yes. Is that something you would see in Greece? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> an I mean, outfit. look... <laughs>
1: If he can was supposed say- to be a Greek vampire,
2: he should have more hair on his chest. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> True. I mean, what is this? A little bat nose freak.
3: It's the nose uh, that always does it for me.
2: I love it. I love the nose. And I love... You know, now we can talk about the movie with the morphing time. I love the fact that they that he put his... That they incorporated his bat face. Yeah. If they... Like that movie was all all types are wrong. But the fact that they made him look like Morbius from the comics was just perfect.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: It, was the, it was the only thing that was a good in the movie. Okay.
1: <laughs> and also Michael Keaton showing up at the end. Oh, God, I'd forgotten <laughs> that. About was that was truly incredible.
3: <laughs> I'd forgotten about that.
1: <laughs> and there's the six. Never going to happen.
2: Yes. Um... What are we going to talk about here? Like, so Morbius, There's a lot of talking.
0: Yeah, Morbius is after this old colleague of his, Hans Jorgensen, to help him find a cure. He bursts in and kind of knocks him out through the window, which is kind of all we need from that scene. But he's hoping to find a cure, and so he floats away with this guy. But my favorite character in this whole issue is the old woman that lives underneath Jorgensen that hears <laughs> this commotion from upstairs. Uh, oh, do you to talk to us before we we'll get there. <laughs> Sorry, before
2: we get there, I had to read the last panel of page 4 twice because it was like, "Michael, good lord, man. What are you?" And the next bubble, the last but on the last panel, I read as "doing." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Wait, sorry? Doing? Yes, what are you doing?" <laughs> but it's like that is a very bad mishap on the, on the oh, I one. love the
3: idea now that Morbius goes and does his own sound effects. When he wait, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, but yeah, this, this old lady in the, in the next, in the next page is just amazing. Like she is living her best life. He is reading that book. <laughs> she is, she is eating those chocolates. And even though it was like I was, I, I had to reread read that, that, that panel twice because I saw in the close-up on her face where she's terrified and she has green eyes, which is amazing. <laughs> she was holding something. I said, like, what is that black thing in the middle of the page? I, like, I didn't know what it was. And I had to look back. I was like, is that a box of tissues? <laughs> no, it's
1: a box of chocolates.
2: <laughs> so as I was saying before, when the artist actually didn't do anything about where Spider-Man hides his uh, his uh, his suit he went all out and given this lady a story that she was reading and having chocolates for two panels like yeah. this woman lives in two panels
0: i just uh, i want to call her chloris that's uh, that's her name for me in this I think issue chloris is pretty good oh <laughs> was I, when 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 did this happen you could have written that uh... entry for her <laughs> <laughs> she'd get one line <laughs> Uh, and also the key the keys. He has jailer keys. I think she lives in a prison. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. She's got like there's like tw- twenty keys on that ring. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe
1: she just keeps people in the basement. Oh, you know, maybe she's the real villain of this. <laughs> it was of actually this re- Morbius was rescuing
3: this professor. <laughs> I mean
1: look, when you see a character
2: in green and purple, it's never good. No. No, that's very true.
0: Oh
3: so Spider Man I mean, it... it's
0: convicts
2: 101
0: right there. Spider-Man yeah. is looking for Morbius. He makes this woman faint. Uh Christian, will you take us through the next section of the book? Tell us what happens. So Peter makes this
3: woman faint and he decides, No, I need a nap. I'm going home and leaving her because the police might turn up. Well they're not gonna turn up because you haven't called them, but apparently though. She does wake up and first thing she does is ghost the press about it because the next morning it's the front page of the paper that Spider-Man has kidnapped this scientist and not Morbius.
0: Now, there's a long history of Marvel working in personal jokes uh, in right. like little background panels. If you read this newspaper, the bottom right headline yeah, yeah. says, uh, uh, there it, it's like cuts off. It says, well known cartoonist found yeah. in, and there's an image. I'm assuming they're making fun, fun of someone who worked at Marvel at the time. I don't have the context, but I have to believe that's the case here. Yeah. Mm. And and J. Jonah's up to his little tricks. The Spider
1: Man Menace by J. Jonah Jameson. Is that the <laughs> show? Sure it's the B- <laughs> people. Had he not used <laughs> that headline before? <laughs> no, he's, no, no. He,
3: he literally point. copies and pastes the entire yeah. article each time. it's sort of Peter, bring me a photo. I've got the article to go with it. <laughs> and yeah, so who's reading the paper but our old friend Charles Xavier, who's uh looking very strange in that panel on that page? Um, there is some weird stuff going on with his head. He's looking very scowly and his eyes are doing some weird stuff Um, he then decides yeah I need to get the team involved in this and makes some calls with
2: his brain powers heads to the hands I was about to say his brain, he he makes a big point about his brain his brain he cannot avert his eyes or his his brain brain.
3: (laughs) (laughs) and then he averts his brain not his mind His his big powerful brain and uh contacts uh warren and bobby who i think must be in the danger room at that point they're in the distant room of the many leveled private school Uh, and there he finds two minds of the utterly fantastic human beings known as the angel and simply as iceman so wow bobby gets some shit thrown at him (laughs) and just some shade here with the writing um that Now, am I right? This is after the comic has been cancelled for the first time. So They've not worn the blue and golds for a while. Yeah, but they're back in here.
2: They're back in there. For a while. Uh, One minute. X-Men got cancelled?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like uh, 1968, it's been off the market for a little while until uh, until it comes back in giant size number one. So there's like a five or six year period Mm -hmm. where there was not any X-Men comics here. Um, Five or or six years? Yeah! Mm -hmm. Wow! I gotta love when when Xavier summons Jean. She's like lying on the couch in her full costume, reading by (laughs) by levitating a book in the air. Like she's tired, tired to hold it with her hands.
3: (laughs) And Scott's out for a wander and a a mope, and you know to be angsty because you know summers. And Beast is somewhere else. He's in Long Island, a research plant. I'm guessing, making formulas to turn himself furry at this point.
0: No, um, yeah. Now, come back to the show. First episode in January. We're going to start the Beast Turns Blue stories. Uh, and we're, we're right. going to be on that for a while. But that's where we'll begin in the new year. This is obviously
3: setting up for that. Uh, and basically, Hank basically turns around and says, can't deal with this shit anymore. Charles, no, I'm not. Can I... I'm not your bitch anymore.
2: <laughs> Can I make an observation? Yes. Uh, every establish- every every establishing shot of a new character is reading oh interesting like you see the, the professor he's reading papers you see the, our favorite uh, old lady she's reading a book oh, yeah. you see
0: jean reading a book you see uh, Xavier reading the paper you see oh, Hank? if you notice if you notice cyclops on his walk he has picked a single flower uh in his i name. hadn't oh, i love so that scary. for him
3: oh <laughs> Oh, that's so sweet and uh, Gene's gonna ruin his life um anyway um and then yeah so he basically yeah come come my x-men at last again it is time yeah come to me my x-men as usual and they've changed into civilian clothes at this point to go on a mission um and Charles sends them out to go and find out why Spider-Man kidnapped this friend of his. uh, I gotta read this
0: caption box, because the language does not age well here. It says, their voices echo through the empty corridors, and slowly return to their teacher and mentor. And for many minutes, he sits silent, contemplating the men he's groomed. Wondering, praying, (laughs) like, groomed is not a good word.
3: (laughs) But also, it's the fact that that entire panel is sideways.
2: (laughs) Didn't also, Charles is re- Charles is reading a comic in this case. In this
3: yeah. Yeah, he's he's got the funny. He's pages. showing them
2: yeah. He's showing them a comic. He's like, look at this comic.
3: <laughs> look at what Heathcliff's up to today. Martitude's <laughs> a laugh. Scott, <laughs> read this, get a personality.
0: Um, Meanwhile, uh, Spider-Man is still throbbing with fever.
3: Oh, uh, throbbing, throbbing with fever, and finding yourself a cool corner to rest till his skull stops spinning. And suddenly his webbing snaps, twisting in his grip because a shirtless angel is uh, yanking him into the air. And they're all out of costume at this point. Now, I did look at this, and this is around the time that the Teen Titans got rid of their costumes as well.
0: And, oh, they wow.
3: and they were all wandering around in those grey jumpsuit things. So I'm wondering whether it was a sort of a follow-on idea for that. Just, let's not have them in the costumes anymore and just street clothes. Because it just seems such a weird thing to have them in the costumes and then not for the mission. Because it's not. Because I, I kept looking back and thinking, is there a reason why they're not wearing the costumes? They did not want it associated, but they don't mention it. So I just, yeah. Or he just prefers to draw a shirtless Warren because you know, why not? <laughs> um, at which point Spider-Man decides, instead of talking, let's just fight and uh, Man cuts him off. Uh, Angel throws him around. He then grabs Angel round the neck with his meaty thighs. And <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Doc Savage is coming, apparently. And I'm not sure he's the only one. Um, because spidey always wins and throws uh, warren down and who starts to lose lose altitude he's falling and in like a flame comes phoenix sorry jean um with powers like her she could uh, she uh, she could she uh, finds warren or she grabs warren and warren says little lady i could kiss you for that and Scott, just
0: try it, Warren. Just try <laughs> with me.
3: Try with me, please. Sorry, one minute.
0: <laughs> there's also a Spider Man. In is... nine... Oh, I'm sorry, Grace. Please, go oh, ahead. Go...
2: Sorry, that was uh, me. Uh, Spider Man is calling Angel all these names. Sweetums, from Buttercup,
0: Sweetums.
2: what's going yeah. on here? Yeah,
3: there's some.
1: Yeah, there's something going on here.
0: There's also a panel on page 9 in the billboard and the back says don't miss the Beatles story. Now Marvel, I was
1: just looking at that.
0: Marvel published a, 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 an issue called The Beatles Story in 1978, so I'm kind of wondering if it got delayed for a while, but there's a book by David Kraft and George Perez that came out a few years later. I'm I'm wondering if that's what they're referencing. Delayed by like 4 years? Maybe maybe I don't know the details behind it, but I'm uh, I'm kind of guessing that's what uh, what they're referencing here. Where's that? Oh, on page nine uh during the uh the Spider-Man sexy you're distracted by Spider-Man uh, hooking up with Spider-Man
3: where he's got where he's got him round the neck.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. So mine doesn't say
3: that. Mine says Doc Savage is coming.
0: Oh, fascinating. Oh, yeah, wait, mine doesn't say anything about the Beatles. Mine, mine says Doc Savage is mine coming. Mine says don't miss the Beatles story in the background. Maybe they changed it in the reprints. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. This this is on
3: unlimited. Yeah, no. Mind saying Doc Savage is coming? Interesting. Yeah, I was
2: wondering where Doc Savage uh, comment
1: came from. Yeah,
0: no, that's yeah. That, that how weird?
2: Uh,
1: yeah, Grace, so obviously...
0: Grace, will you take us through the next few pages? Tell us what happens next.
1: Yeah. Uh. So basically, uh, Morbius, um, has you know fucked up spider-man enough that he passes out but luckily they don't need him to be awake because professor x uh has superpowers that allow him to uh understand that they shouldn't have beaten the crap out of him or tried to and he kind of recounts the whole story that we already have recounted up to this point and uh ends it by saying that oh crap we got to fight a vampire guys um <laughs> the spider-man uh was just in the wrong place at the wrong time as seems to be his want in life uh i think that what re- the the page where he's recounting that he's recapping what has happened in this morbius saga some of the most beautiful colors mm. you know uh just really an incredible an incredible like this, this issue i think is drawn in a really dynamic way yeah. um uh, and then uh i believe was he like a was, did professor x know jorgensen already
3: i assume so from the
1: fact yeah. that he got so
3: upset reading the
1: the newspaper yeah. yeah um so uh he dispatches the team uh to uh okay wait i skipped over something sorry um Morbius and Jorgensen have some time to talk about what's going on, and um I think this really shows us that Morbius isn't a great listener. You know? Um,
0: <laughs> Jorgensen, Jorgensen's laying there unconscious, and Morbius is like, I'm so horny, I need him so bad, but I, yeah, um, I can't kill him, I can't. <laughs> he
1: He's kind of just monologuing at Jorgensen and then he goes out and finds uh a teenager to eat, um which wouldn't teenager. pass nowadays. Um, not cool, Morbius. <laughs> uh that age gap is just un uncool. Um yeah, but
2: the teenager has a knife, so he so wasn't good.
1: Does have a knife and teenagers. Really shouldn't have knives, even ones that look like bread knives. Um,
3: <laughs> and also, he doesn't look that much like a teenager. I'd say he's 35 at least in some of those panels.
1: Oh, see, if they're in a comic, they're a teenager, unless they're in a wheelchair. Actually, that's the rule. Mopic oh, teenager, adult, yeah. old, old person, of yeah. course. Yeah, uh, but and then, l- but luckily, Angel is flying around. <laughs> very near to where Morbius stakes his bread um, and uh then they you know the whole team joins him in, in fighting Morbius and uh
0: I and then um so they, they're able to follow Morbius back. And here, I'll, I'll take over for the last few pages here. Morbius Morbius's fight moves here are pretty great. He's all glidey and like fast. Mm. He's fighting on a whole team here. Morbius swings into the X-Men, knocks him apart. He fucking kicks Iceman in the face. Yeah, uh, he Scott,
1: destroys the whole team. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Scott fires an optic blast. Gene yells, none of us ever dreamed he'd be so powerful. Uh, Morbius dodges the black, hits Cyclops with a trash can, <laughs> which is a transcendent move. Uh, Angel flies at him. Morbius punches him in the face. Gene just starts, like, chucking fucking bottles and pots and pans at him. Like, Maybe she just saw Fantasia the movie, like, not not the camp queen from the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, but like the Disney version. Uh, Morbius calls her the girl with the uncanny eyes. Uh, he grabs her in a chokehold, avoids another optic blast, and he's so cool here, actually. Uh, and he says, "As you've no doubt noticed, I'm a desperate man. Desperation adds strength to my already powerful grip. Enough strength, I think, to crush any resistance, my darling." And Jean goes, "Don't." That's how we himself. talk in Greece. <laughs> That's that makes sense. a Greek man. Isn't <laughs> And uh, with with your hairless chests. (laughs) And uh, Gene says, don't listen, Scott. And Morbius says, oh, do listen, Scott. If you ever wish to hold her in your arms again, I'm not a man to play with bluffs. I mean what I say. And Cyclops says, so do I, Morbius. And as I told you, I'm not quite finished. Not quite at all. Scott's never been good with the one-liners. But he fires an optic blast at a mirror, and it bounces off the mirror with a k-spatang sound and hits Morbius in the head. Uh, Gene rushes into Scott's arms. It's all right, Gene. It's over. It's over. So, uh, wait, this... <laughs> so Morbius assumes
2: that Gene was with Cyclops.
0: Yes? Well, yeah, because I
3: mean, it's going to be obvious that Warren is lusting after Angel, so <laughs>
2: what's left? <laughs> I see, it's it's yeah, very, very assuming there. Come on, Michael. You can do better than this. I
0: think that's fair. So they still need to find more Jorgensen. Xavier, uh, dangerously but effectively, works with Gene to read Morbius's mind again. So Jorgensen is rescued. Morbius is contained. Spider-Man wakes up. And the X-Men all tell him he's been cured. Then they tell Spider-Man it was Gene who helped save him. And to say thank you, Spider-Man, in one single move, webs up Angel's arms, webs up Iceman's eyes, launches himself at Jean, raises up his mask and then fucking just kisses her on the lips while xavier looks like he just zipped, like zipped his dick up in his zipper like he's so <laughs> upset you guys he's horrified and then (laughs) spider-man spider-man jumps out the window literally breaking it even though they just helped him he's like now that's done i gotta be saying goodbye because not only am i slightly antisocial but it's already hours past my bedtime and gene is smiling the boys are all staring at spider-man's ass and uh she goes well sir i suppose that ties it up doesn't it and xavier's looking at morbius like it is not over yet uh let me hear your thoughts on this final interaction with uh spider-man and the x-men because that's my favorite page 20
2: Now I understand the question at the (laughs) beginning of the show. (laughs) 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 Because I didn't get this far in the comic when I was reading it earlier.
1: (laughs) It's so cool that everybody else thinks Spider-Man's thing is spiders. But in Spider-Man's mind, (laughs) well that his shtick is spider stuff. But in Spider-Man's mind, his shtick is being an asshole.
0: And lagging, also, and and lagging on like,
1: redheads. my, my yeah. calling card yeah Yes. Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, i'm like, assuming oh, that he's i going gotta do those. it
1: you know like i can't like leave by just saying bye my whole shtick is kind of like kicking yeah. guys in their nuts and then kissing their girl and <laughs> leaving you know like that's who spider-man <laughs> is
0: no we're We are not going to take an episode of my show for this, but I'll recount this really quickly. Morbius shows up next Uh in an issue called Fear Number 20 in 1974. And there's a flashback to this adventure. Apparently, he's been in a coma for a while. There's one page where like Xavier and Cyclops go to examine him, but he breaks free and like glides out the window. And Xavier says, we got to let him go. He he says, and I quote, we have more pressing concerns, the mysterious abductions of the other X-Men. And that is a reference to the Secret Empire story uh, by Steve Englehart and Captain America that we will get to on my show in 2024 later. So we're not going to cover the fear issue here, but there's that one page recap for everybody as the follow up to this story. Uh I want to be sensitive to time, but do we have final thoughts on this issue? This is uh this is a fun, campy 70s sparry battle. What do you guys think? What were your favorite moments or, or things that baffled you? I'm trying to
2: see how many times we have a a panel with a butt right in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> like there is multiple shots of just a butt right in the middle of the panel.
0: Mm-hmm. But they're painted blue, so they don't have to put wisps of smoke over to cover their bits. (laughs)
2: Yes. Uh, This was this was a weird one. I mean, I like the fact that the X Men have a Cadillac. (laughs) It's that
3: or a jet. So one or the other. It,
1: It really makes you remember that the X Men was kind of a rip of doom patrol this one Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it really just presents them as like some friends hanging out in in a nice house that's owned by this old guy Mm -hmm. who like tells them to do stuff sometimes in exchange for rent you know Um, (laughs) 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 uh, and, and i i like the fashion i like the colors Um, but it is kind of like, you know, it's a pretty surface level story. (laughs) If I had to, like, write, like, in, like, bullet points for what I think would happen in a Morbius story where the X-Men fought him back then, it would be something
0: like this. (laughs) (laughs) What a joy! I mean, uh, what a joy to revisit this with you guys, and mostly just to get to know uh, Grace and Michael today. This has been a delight. I'd love to hear any final thoughts you have, but we'll do our wrap-ups. I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're a couple minutes over. Uh, As we are wrapping up here, I would love to hear from each of you. Where can people find you online? And we're going to put this out on December 11th. What would you like to plug if you have anything uh, coming out or that we can look forward to? Uh, And as you are giving your line, if you need to exit uh, gracefully from there, that's completely fine. Oh, I I use gracefully uh, and Grace is here. So that was uh, a little Freudian. (laughs) Uh, Grace, do you want to go first here?
1: Uh, Yes. Um, Thank you so much for having me, Chad and Christian and Michael. It was great to uh, talk with you all. Um, y'all can find me. I'm Grace Freud Business on Instagram. Um, and I don't even really want to talk about any other social media to tell you the truth at this point. Um, I am in a comedy duo called Girl God, and we will be doing a run of shows at the Elysian Theater in January that we haven't announced yet, but be on the lookout for that. Um, And what other bullcrap... Oh, what I want to say is we put out a hotline recently, a reverse suicide hotline, where you can call to convince someone not to kill themselves. And they're just characters, but it's a real hotline that you can call. So if you're in America... You can dial one 844 Lata, a.k.a. 1-844-343-5282. It is not a suicide hotline. It is not what you should call if you're in crisis. That's 988. But if you would like to laugh at some jokes, call
0: 1-844-343-5282. Thanks delicious grace it is a joy to get to know you thank you for your humor thank you for your characters uh i hope to chat with you again sometime yes so nice to meet y'all have a good one thank you uh michael would you like to go next
2: i'm just still going through this issue and looking at <laughs> looking at all the butts <laughs> looking at iceman's little booties that don't freeze over <laughs> but he's like literally this whole issue Warren is shirtless and Iceman is just iced up the whole issue he's walking around the city in his pants in his yep. briefs basically and you wondered why Morbius thought
3: Cyclops and Jean were a couple because literally is no of course a person.
2: <laughs> yeah um, but yeah um, what was I saying yeah you can find <laughs> me on uh, Instagram I go under the, the wooden king that's my handle I mainly use that as much as I can because uh, the other places I honestly forget that I have. And I'm very bad with social media because I'm constantly drawing and doing all the work and I forget to promote myself.
0: You are a phenomenal artist, my friend. Thank you for your good humor and your fun conversation. Thanks for your stories tonight. It's great to see you.
2: Oh, and also December should be the second issue of Zawar yes when it comes out some
0: yes i can't wait to get the first issue yeah, I, I will uh i will shoot you a message and let you know i'm so excited yeah. oh my thank you
3: uh and then christian <laughs> uh yeah so nothing to promote apart from whatever these guys are doing because it sounds amazing uh and i'm going to be buying most of it now And once i get offline um i'm chrissy1701 on instagram and blue sky and i finally got rid of the other place uh this week i just cannot deal with that anymore um so yeah that's the pl- those are the places to find me uh lastly i
0: will keep pl- my pl- platform planet. We're talking about Twitter. We both just left. Yeah. yeah. Uh lastly I keep my media private because I got kiddos, but you can find Greymalkin Lane, underscore Lane on Instagram. I'm also on Discord on flirting with blue sky, we'll see what happens. Uh, The next episode immediately after this is going to be a weird kind of light adventure to end the year out with. Uh, Untold Tales of Spider-Man minus one with the incredible team up of Josh Trujillo, uh, Levi Hastings and Erica Schultz. Uh, This is a very obscure early Wolverine story, but it's mostly about Spider-Man's mom and dad. It'll be fun, easy ride to end the year with. We've also got the roast of Cyclops coming up on the show immediately after that to close out uh, 2023. Uh, Thank you everybody for the ongoing support. I'm so excited to start with Blue Fairy Beast in the new year. Uh, We will see you back here next time on Gray Malkin Lane. Thank you for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. We hope you are enjoying this podcast. Gray Malkin Lane is produced and recorded in Salt Lake City, Utah with music and editing done by my husband, Michael Bell, and promo art done by the incredible Seth Martell. Look for us on Patreon where we are releasing weekly episodes about obscure characters and facts Uh, It's a great way to participate with the podcast for only just a couple of dollars a month, and it helps support what we are doing here. Also, the best way you could help Gray Malkin Lane is by sharing and liking and subscribing, but also please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you back here next time on Gray
2: Malkin Lane.